2: Hello again, this is Robin Upsall. I'm a Des Moines Register politics reporter, and I'm back with another episode of Three Tickets, the Register's podcast about the presidential caucuses. When I first started this job, what I wanted to understand was what actually happens at a caucus. It might seem like a pretty simple question, but the answer, especially for Democrats, is hard to explain. This episode of Three Tickets explains how the caucus system works for both parties. It also explains when the system doesn't work, like in 2012, when the deciding votes between Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum were lost and miscounted until finally the race was called shortly after 1.30 a.m. for the wrong candidate. This was produced in 2015 and is narrated by Jason Noble, who is no longer with the Register. I'll come back at the end of the episode to give you a few updates on what's changed for some of the people you hear from.
3: Hello, and welcome to Three Tickets, the Des Moines Register's podcast of Iowa Caucus's history and culture. I'm your host, Jason Noble. I've described Iowa's presidential precinct caucuses as pretty amazing but sort of absurd political contests. Today we're going to dig into that absurdity and explore some of the disputes that have arisen from it over the last 40 odd years. It's a story I'll tell in three parts. Let's call it process and controversy.
2: Coming up next on C-SPAN, we take you live to Iowa. 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 Hello, Iowa.
0: In the state of Iowa. I love Iowa a whole lot. Tomorrow, Iowa!
3: Alright, first things first. What is a caucus? And how does it work? You know, I feel like in order to explain this, I have to lay out a bunch of caveats and disclaimers and small print provisos first. 1. Caucuses are not elections. 2. Democrats and Republicans have entirely different caucus processes that yield entirely different results. 3. Caucuses are not elections. 4. Caucuses operate basically without state oversight or state resources and are run almost entirely by volunteer activists. 5. Caucuses are not elections. Let me tell you something. I'm an election
1: man all my life. If I try to do an election like that, you'd be visiting me in some prison somewhere because you can't do elections like that. <laughs> That's Michael Morrow. Do, you can't do it like He
3: was Iowa's Secretary of State for four years, and he spent a couple of decades before that in a county election office. And there is
1: an election. It's a neighborhood gathering where people break up into groups and where you have people in that neighborhood actually who are going to be calculating formulas now. Calculating, <laughs> think about this, calculating formulas, calling them back to the office, calculating the results, having the results go that night, and declaring a winner without any canvas, or any recreation, or what the right. heck happened. Right. And people even saying, boy, I just won eye Wasn't that tremendous? All
3: right, to make this as simple as possible, I went to the most knowledgeable people I could find. And I asked them flat out, how do the Iowa caucuses work? To get the Democratic answer, I checked in with Norm Sturzenbach. He's now a campaign consultant in Des Moines. But during the 2008 cycle, he was the caucus director for the Iowa Democratic Party. Which means that organizing the caucuses was his entire job. And there's also this.
0: Yeah, so I grew up in a very Democratic family. And so... um, uh, my mom always talks about how I've been to pretty much every caucus um, mm-hmm. since I was alive um, because they were both. So, you think, my think you were at a mom. caucus in 76 yeah. when? when uh, according old. to my mother, I was, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't remember it as I was a year old. Okay. So. Um, or All right.
3: With Sturzenbach's credentials thus established, let's have him explain this thing to us. It's a weekday night, usually a Monday, but not always in January or February of a presidential election year. Caucuses are held for every voting precinct across the state, about 1,700 of them, and are usually held in public buildings, schools, libraries, courthouses, churches, places like that, although they still sometimes are held in people's homes. Iowans who live within that precinct start showing up and checking in around 6.30. If you're already a registered Democrat, you just find your name on a list and sign in. If you're an independent or a Republican or not even registered, you fill out a registration card right there, shifting your allegiance to the Democratic Party. So far, so good. At around seven, things start happening. But it's really just mundane Robert's Rules type stuff with, you know, you've got a temporary chair, you elect a permanent chair, blah, 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 yada, yada. Um, Until...
0: So then the, ne- the first real order of business uh, comes with establishing what the Democrats call a viability threshold. Yep. Here's where we start making the sausage. So our caucuses are generally about establishing a consensus around a couple of candidates that Iowa Democrats support. Um, It's not about picking who we think should be the nominee or who we think should be the president. It's really about these are the couple of candidates that we like. The people who really know what they're
3: talking about, the the ones who live the caucuses, get paid to organize them, who have spent decades participating in them, are always quick to say something like this. We're not nominating anybody. We're not electing anybody. We're just saying, hey, this guy seems nice. The subtext is, if you assign more meaning to Iowa's results than that, hey, that's on you, buddy. So, to do that, to identify the candidates they like, Democrats have come up with what basically amounts to a political game of musical chairs at each precinct site, predicated on this thing called a viability threshold. Um,
0: and so the viability threshold is the first um, sort of test on caucus night for a candidate. And you basically, you have to have a certain level of support in order, to ele- in order to win delegates on caucus night. And in most cases, that's 15%. And so if a candidate isn't viable or doesn't have at least 15% of support within the room, mm-hmm. then they either have to scramble to gain more support among their peers or um, join another group. Mm-hmm. And so, Okay.
3: Can you picture this uh, in your mind? The caucus begins, and the first thing that happens is the precinct chair counts up every eligible caucus participant who's in the room. Then the chair figures out what 15% of that is and and establishes that that as the viability threshold. Um,
0: Once that's done, then um, sort of the real action for caucus night begins. And they ask um, everyone to get up out of their seats and move to a a segment of the room for their candidate. Mm -hmm. So, um,
3: If you support candidate A, go over to that corner. If you like candidate B, go to this other corner, et cetera, et cetera. And once the caucus is divided up into candidate preference groups, the chair goes around and counts up every group, announces the numbers to everyone, and identifies any group that fails to meet the 15% viability threshold.
0: At this point, the
3: the thing kind of turns into a game show.
0: Um, Once they've counted all the groups, they then will say, okay, assuming that there are non-viable groups at this stage, they will announce um, a realignment period, which is generally about 30 minutes um, where basically the point is, those groups that are non viable have the opportunity then to, as I mentioned, either persuade people to join their group to become viable or determine who their second choice is and where they're going to go from there.
3: That sounds like the fun part. It right. Is, and there's a lot of realignment. Dealing dealing We're rearranging the preference groups to eliminate candidates with support below 15%. If you liked candidate A, but no one else did, You either have to persuade people to start liking him or find a new candidate to support instead. Or if your favorite candidate isn't viable and you just can't will yourself to stand with another candidate, you can be counted as uncommitted. This is where things can get kind of bananas. There's
0: a lot of uh, wheeling and dealing that happens and a lot of strategy that goes into this. So... um and uh, it, it has to do with with caucus math and determining who wins a number of delegates. But basically, if okay, you were viable, this is key.
3: The Democratic precinct caucuses are all about assigning convention delegates to the competing presidential candidates. These delegates move up from the precinct level to county party conventions, and then on to district and state conventions, and ultimately to the Democratic National Convention. And so, at this point, the Democratic precinct caucuses really become an extremely complicated math problem. Every caucus precinct, all 1,682 of them across the state, is assigned a certain number of delegates who will move on to the county convention. The number of delegates that a precinct gets is based on how strongly democratic that precinct is. That means, to take a local example, that an ardently democratic precinct in central Des Moines would get more delegates to the Polk County Convention than a Leans Republican precinct out in the suburbs. That's simple enough, right? I hope so, because here's a caveat. Every precinct gets at least one delegate. Okay, so let's go back to caucus night. Caucus goers have divided into preference groups and eliminated the non-viable candidates. Now we've got to assign that precinct's delegates to the viable candidates. As you'd expect, the most popular candidates get the most delegates. But there's another caveat. Every viable candidate in a precinct is guaranteed a delegate. That takes us back to what Sturzenbach was saying about strategy and caucus math. Let's imagine a precinct with five delegates.
0: So if you're in a five-delegate precinct and there are four viable groups, um, all four groups are going to get one delegate and one of the groups is going to give two delegates. Yeah. So it's important whether or not you have four viable groups or three viable groups. Um, it has a big impact on the outcome. So sometimes a strategy will be for a viable group to give up supporters and send them over to a non-viable group to make them viable to keep one of their opponents from winning a a second delegate. Oh wow! Or um, it is a strategy to get those groups to come over to you so that you can then win that second delegate. Um,
3: This kind of mind-numbing mathematics strategy plays out within every precinct across the entire state. And then these delegate figures get tallied up across the state, and we end up with percentages of delegates to the 99 county conventions that are committed to each candidate. 35% of county delegates are supporting candidate X, maybe, and another 20% are backing candidate Y. Maybe another 20% are uncommitted, and several more have support below 10%. So, we have a result. (laughs) But wait, that isn't what gets reported, and isn't what makes the news at the end of the night. From these county delegate equivalents, we have to calculate state delegate equivalents. That is, the percentage of delegates each candidate would take into the Iowa Democratic Party's state convention. There are several reasons why this is necessary, all of which are way too mundane to explain here. So, how do we get from county delegate equivalents to state delegate equivalents?
0: Norm? Well, that's a lot more complicated. (laughs) Um, And uh, there's not a real easy way to explain that. I mean, basically... Norm, you're killing me. ...in the room, how many county convention delegates each candidate wins. That's the easy number to understand. Mm -hmm you know John Edwards won 2 delegates out of this precinct that's pretty easy to understand but mm-hmm. when, when you talk about it in terms of state delegates he actually won 0.001349 right. delegates that's right. a lot more difficult to understand so we we usually only talk about that number in aggregate across okay. the state right. and so right. the reason why
3: converting the county delegate figures up to the states 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 state isn't straightforward because the counties are weighted differently on one extreme you've got the people's republic of johnson county which went 66% for Obama in the 2012 general election. While in the other, you've got the freedom, love, and paradise of Sioux County, which went 83% for Romney. Johnson County then sends a lot more delegates to the state convention than Sioux County does. But the math is even further complicated by the fact that every county is guaranteed a baseline number of delegates, regardless of their democratic strength. Suffice it to say... This is all taken into account by some guy with a green eye shade and a big calculator, and by the end of the night, the party has whole number of percentages of state delegate equivalents that it can report out to the world. But maybe you're wondering, why is all this necessary for a Democratic caucus? What's the value in this arcane, complicated exercise more instead more of just Republican
0: like Republican voting? But people who love politics—they're far more interesting. Um, because it's, it's a public declaration of support. Um, you're literally standing up for your candidate. It's, it's, real, it's real democracy in action. Um, and then of course you add in the strategy that can go behind it. Um, you know, and to be successful in the democratic caucuses, it isn't a raw numbers game. It's, you've really gotta have, because of the way that the delegates are weighted across the state, you have to have support statewide. Um, ...in order to be successful here, which forces candidates when they're campaigning and building a strategy in Iowa... ...to actually get out across the state and meet voters. So it's not a matter
3: of okay, so I'm going to do very well. That's the democratic process and the argument supporting it. What about Republicans? What do they do? To get that answer, I went to the Republican Party of Iowa headquarters in Des Moines... ...and met with Chad Olson. He's the party's executive director which means he spent the summer of 2015, while I was producing this podcast, actually organizing a caucus. He was also at the party through the 2008 and 2012 cycles, and he got his start in politics working on Texas Senator Phil Graham's caucus campaign back in 1995. So, the Republicans. All that preliminary stuff that I described for the Democratic caucuses, showing up at a public building, checking in, coming to order, etc., basically applies to the GOP as well. From there, though, things are different to and a hell of a lot simpler. The Republican Party, we have a very simple process. Uh, we hand out blank sheets of paper and you write the name of uh,
1: the person that you're voting for for president um, on that blank piece of paper, fold it, and hand it in.
3: Um, Seriously, that's it. After, after the ballots are collected, someone sits at the front of the room and counts them. After they're counted and agreed on, someone phones them into state headquarters. And at state headquarters, the votes are tallied up from all the 1,700 or so precincts, and the person who gets the most votes is declared the winner. Boom! Done! Okay. Maybe I'm overstating the simplicity here just to draw a sharper contrast with the Democrats. But it is pretty straightforward. What's interesting, though is that the simplicity of it is actually what gets Republicans in trouble. The democratic process is so convoluted and hard to understand that by the time results are reported, they're basically taken as a given. But when you've got hard, countable votes, any little mistake is magnified. And there are always mistakes. That brings us to our second story. The great Republican caucus vote counting debacle. Of 2012. The best person to tell the authoritative story of what happened in the 2012 Republican caucuses is Matt Strawn. He was the party chairman at the time, the public face of Iowa Republicans and the caucuses. I met him one afternoon at the Hotel Fort Des Moines. The story begins, he told me, with a premonition. It was sometime in the summer of 2011, as the campaign was just gearing up. Strawn had coffee with David Yepsen, the former Des Moines Register columnist and longtime caucuses sage. And
1: I don't know if Dave remembers this conversation, but it is, you know, even today, it's as vivid in my, my mind as it was the, the day Dave and I had it. We're having a cup of coffee at the Village Bean, uh, and we're walking through different scenarios about the caucuses, and he goes, well, you different know. Different
3: scenarios about what could go wrong about what could threaten Iowa's first-in-the-nation status. There were plenty of things, they agreed, but the biggest threat, uh, Yepsen tells Strawn, is...
1: A vote that is so close that no one ultimately knows who won or lost or what the exact vote totals were. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that aspect that, that he thought would cause the greatest angst nationally about the caucuses. But that people would realize, well, wait a minute, this vote really doesn't matter anyway.
3: Wow, yeah, it'd be really terrible if that had discussed that. But it was.
1: But I, I, remember this conversation vividly, and he goes, "Mad, if I were you, that's the one thing that would keep me up at night, and it's the one thing you can't control."
3: That was midsummer. Over the next few months, the Republicans ran a wild, exhilarating caucus campaign that saw several candidates briefly take the lead in Iowa including now footnotes to history like Michelle Bachman and Herman Cain. In the Des Moines Register's final Iowa poll before caucus night, Mitt Romney was the frontrunner, and Ron Paul was looking strong, but Rick Santorum had the momentum. The caucuses were January 3, 2012. They started at 7, and just like Chad described, the votes were cast and counted in their precincts, and then they were called into Republican HQ in Des Moines. Rather than the Republicans' actual headquarters, vote counting on caucus night was run out of a Johnny's Italian steakhouse and two rooms at a Radisson Hotel near the airport. This was a security precaution to guard against hackers and protesters. Strawn had devoted much of the day and evening to media interviews and wasn't planning anything formal to announce the winner. Uh, you
1: yeah, know, we, we never really expected to, to announce results the results speak for themselves,
3: yeah. right? You know, Indeed, so the had, returns were expected to we run done. largely on autopilot. Precinct officials were supposed to call in their tallies to an automated phone system, which would route the numbers into software set up by Google, which in turn provided updated results online, virtually in real time.
1: So, really, the world was learning the results at the same time I was.
3: Uh-huh. The expectation uh, from Strawn so, yeah, so and Olson and everyone else at the party was that someone would break away and an obvious winner would emerge such that the media and everyone else could safely call the contest even before all the results were reported. As the results came in, though, that's not what happened. In fact, it was almost the opposite.
1: And that's where I got on the phone with Chad Olson and said, okay, walk, walk me through what the situation is. And I said, boss, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you this thing. I thought we'd start seeing a gap, but it's actually getting closer.
3: At first, it was a three-way race. A while. Romney, Santorum, and Paul. But as more rural counties began to report, yeah, kind of Paul faded to third. Yeah. Uh,
1: but Senator Santorum and Governor Romney, you know, instead of separation, they you know they were, you know, they were on a collision course. Um, and of course,
3: precinct by precinct, the results accumulated at Republican headquarters, steadily ratcheting up the drama. Two days after the caucuses, my colleague Jennifer Jacobs published a minute-by-minute account of the results as they came in which I'm going to draw from now. At 9.40 p.m., Romney is winning. At 10.21, Santorum goes up by 68 votes. At 11.08, Santorum's winning by 31 votes. At 11.18, his lead is down to two votes, but surges up to 48 votes six minutes later. To put that in context, remember, we're talking about more than 100,000 caucus ballots cast. And yet the two top candidates are separated by a few dozen votes. At 1127, Strawn texts Olson It's too damn close. I can't say anything except record turnout. At 1135, with reporting from Dubuque County, Romney is leading again by 24 votes. At 1141, 18 precincts out of 1,774 still haven't reported. At 1159, Five precincts are outstanding. I was, I be,
1: and I remember getting a a text from, this is like total entitled Iowa name drop, but I remember getting a text from Andrea Mitchell. Uh,
3: the NBC anchor.
1: And uh, you know, she asked, she was the first national reporter that I remember had pinged me with a note that asking if this was going to be too close to call.
3: Uh-huh. At this point, said, things are getting pretty well, crazy. You know, Rumors are flying. There's one about a mysterious box of ballots being spirited through Story County in the bed of a truck and reporters are zeroing in on the last remaining precincts, asking who's in charge and why haven't they reported their votes. At some point, Strawn finds himself at the embassy suites in downtown Des Moines, waiting for a TV interview.
1: So while I'm, you know, kind of sitting in the green room there, not on Fox itself, but on Fox Business, Neil Cavuto is on with Donald Trump. And I kid you not, Donald Trump is waxing eloquently about Iowa's recount procedures in the Iowa caucuses. You know, completely
3: making things up. Uh, Like I said, things are getting crazy. Strong goes on Cavuto, sets the record straight on recounts. There aren't any for a caucus. And decides he needs to go back to the media filing center a few blocks away. Uh, Because it's
1: starting to get later in the evening as the vote is narrowing. We realize, one way or another, there's probably going to have to be some sort of public statement made. uh, The
3: The clock is literally about to strike midnight. Before we get to the climax here, though, a bit of context is necessary. As the votes are counted in every precinct, the campaigns are entitled to monitors who oversee and verify the count. And as those votes flow into the Republican headquarters, the candidates again have monitors on hand to observe the count. That means as results tightened and fluctuated, Romney and Santorum both had guys in the room watching it unfold and able to call BS if they saw something funny. Okay, so it's midnight. Santorum now leads by 18 votes and with just two precincts left to report. At 12.10, party officials connect with the Sigourney-Plank-Van Buren precinct in Keokuk County. 11 votes for Santorum against 5 for Romney, pushing Santorum's lead to 24. The other missing precinct is in Clinton County. Maybe you remember hearing about this one. We got two women calling in from, uh, we've actually called them from Clinton County, uh, from the Republican Party in Clinton County. Edith, can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can. All right, now
3: uh,
2: Carolyn...
1: Wolf
3: Blitzer and John King at CNN yes. found Clinton I'm County being chairman being Edith involved. Pfeffer before Strawn and the party guys did. And put her on TV. He
0: got
1: her up. Ward Two Precinct Two.
0: Who won? Uh, Mitt Romney uh, won with 51 votes. Uh, Rick you know, somewhat, Santorum. You, know,
1: you sit back and laugh now, but you know the fact that that Wolf Blitzer was able to find uh, you know one of our county chairs before we were. <laughs> it just, you know, it, you know, it's one of those those surreal moments.
3: The results Edith finally phoned in from Clinton County were plus 18 for Romney, cutting Santorum's lead to six. And that's it. Santorum is your winner. Officials with the Romney and Santorum campaigns even shook on it. They are ready to call it a night. But wait. At 1233, Story County calls with corrections that net 14 votes for Romney. Now Romney's leading. And all the results are in. For real. It's decided. The campaigns agree. Mitt Romney is the winner of the 2012 Iowa Precinct Caucuses. There, really was,
1: there wasn't anybody from any campaign that was, hey, we think something's wrong. You know, everybody, all right, the precincts are in, the numbers are what they are. Uh, it was reported to me, you know, the guys that were in the, the campaign guys that were in the room shook hands and, and went on their way, went back to their, went back to their respective camps. Uh, and I go up and, you know, I announce the vote totals.
3: And, Matt Strawn you know, meets, meets the press. And as he explains the situation, he uses one little word, one little word that seemed entirely logical and reasonable at that moment, but would come back to haunt him.
1: But I can report with 1770 precincts reporting, Governor Mitt Romney received 30,015 votes. Senator Rick Santorum received 30,007 votes. Congratulations to Governor Mitt Romney, winner of the 2012 Iowa caucuses. Congratulations. You, know, I mean, to Senator you can, Santorum. you can armchair quarterback. Uh, you know the words that came out of my mouth all you want, and good people will disagree. Um, you know when should I have used the word winner uh, when I said Mitt Romney's name? Uh, I congratulated actually, if memory serves, I congratulated both Mitt Romney and Rick Santorum, uh, but I said the word winner, and you know that that was it. Uh, so there was you know some degree of finality uh, to everything, and
3: after that, Matt Strong thought his work was done. And then
1: you know, like we we collectively breathed a sigh of relief as a team yeah. that you know we were just through something the likes of which you know we'll probably never see again. Um, you know the you know Iowans turned out in droves. Uh, we had great participation. Uh, it was just a It was just a positive, positive experience. Stressful, uh, but just a positive, positive experience.
3: The next day, he took his kids to daycare. He looked ahead to some rest and relaxation, more time with his kids, and some nice dinners with his wife. Rick Santorum called and basically said, Hey, thanks for running a fair process. A few days passed. And then, this guy turns up in southern Iowa with a camera but phone, it was,
1: and I think the first call we had came from. I think it came from one of the TV stations here in town. You know that was citing. You know, there's you know gentleman who, who believes that the vote tally that was reported uh, in his precinct was wrong, and he's got evidence and proof of you know this, of this, and then it was just a camera phone picture of of the vote tally, and uh, so we were able to. Take a look, and sure enough, you know, he was right. I mean, he had the right numbers that were reported uh, from that. Uh, he had the right numbers for that precinct that night. They had just been, you know, uh, if it was data entry or for whatever reason, uh, the numbers didn't match up that were actually reported.
3: Right. Um, Strachan's team ran awesome. the numbers and found that it didn't affect the outcome. Romney was still the winner. No harm, no foul. But it was enough to sow doubts. Now, as we've discussed, there are no recounts in a Republican caucus. The votes themselves from the precinct sites are stuffed into shoeboxes or coffee cans or who knows what else, and after they're counted, they're basically lost to history. But there is a certification process. Local caucus organizers fill out a sheet of paper known as a Form E, which tallies up the votes from each precinct, and they're required to send this Form E back to Party HQ within a couple weeks of the caucuses. After camera phone guy, attention turned ever so slightly to the certification and the results that it might yield. The party began compiling the form E's and counting up the vote. They sent out regular updates to the campaigns, you know, just to keep them informed. But have you ever known a campaign that could keep its mouth shut about something like that? A week and a half after the caucuses, Strawn went to a Republican National Committee meeting in New Orleans. He took his wife, thinking it might be a nice little vacation. Meetings.
1: I think I uh, I think I blew off uh, whatever formal RNC dinner we had that night. And Aaron and I went and, you know, just the two of us, went and had a nice dinner at a place that was recommended to us, I believe, in the Garden District. Uh, uh, Café Degas, I remember exactly, <laughs> and there's a reason I remember all this, of course, and it wasn't just because of the wonderful company and wonderful food. Uh, but just as we're sitting down, uh, just as we're sitting down to have dinner, I think the bottle of wine had just been opened at the table. Uh, my phone starts going bats, uh, just blowing up. Uh, I remember the first, first one I look at was I saw it was, uh, yeah, I saw it was somebody from the Wall Street Journal, and I knew Buddy Boy on a late Friday night. This can't be good. Yeah. And somebody and, had
3: been on Fox News that night. Know, I think it may have been on. one. And they the had night. suggested Rick Santorum. Uh, may Uh, have actually won the caucuses and
1: you know that was you know that was kind of a game changer
3: Um, the volume spiked the media requests poured in the pressure was on and all the while those form e's were trickling in from across the state slowly slowly building toward a complete certified count of caucus night votes in the end though it was incomplete at the end of the certification process 1,766 precincts out of 1,774 actually reported results. Eight precincts just didn't. Officials found inaccuracies in the results reported by 131 precincts on caucus night, and one county alone saw a 99 vote swing. Based on those results, it was Rick Santorum who came out on top by 34 votes. Now, this was objectively not good. The caucuses actually had a different winner than what was reported on caucus night. But what happened next turned it into a disaster. First in a Des Moines Register exclusive, then in an official party statement, and then on nationwide TV, Matt Strawn told the world there was no winner in the Iowa caucuses. Rick Santorum had more votes in the final tally, Strawn said. But because of those eight missing precincts, it was impossible to declare a winner. Listen to this from his appearance on Fox News on the morning of January 19th.
2: I mean, we waited till 3 o'clock in the morning, and then we're told that uh, Romney won by eight votes, and now we're being told in Santorum that Santorum actually won by 34 votes. How do you square? Why wouldn't you call this a win then for, for Rick Santorum?
1: All right, well here's the process that we went
3: through uh, we have a two weeks let me break in here with a little pro tip anytime you start talking about process on cable tv you are dead meat It's a 34 vote lead
1: so there's no question among those precincts we're able to certify rick santorum received more votes on caucus night uh, for those eight volunteer-led precincts that weren't able to get forms in uh, I can't speak to why they weren't responding to the calls of our staff. In fact, yeah, we had y- staff y- you know, that we y- put out I on the road in, sorry, uh, to track these forms down, because it, you know, my you standpoint, can the most important thing Hold
2: on. You, was you can getting understand. accurate results and making me, sure that every
1: Iowan had an opportunity to have their vote reflected in the final certified results.
2: Okay. I hope you're hearing me okay, and that we don't have any kind of problem with that. But I just want to ask you something. The Rick Santorum folks, as you sure. would understand, are, are upset <laughs> at being told that it's a tie mm-hmm. when they have 34 votes ahead. You know, those precincts that you can't count, those eight precincts, and we'll talk about those in a moment, they weren't in the picture sure. either when the win was called on election night for Mitt Romney. So the Santorum folks, because as you know, the Romney Brutal. Folks have said, this
3: is a history Here's what Strawn told me during our interview
1: without question, probably one of the single worst uh, media appearances of my life. I had not, I had not quite yet grasped uh, the firestorm. And, you know, I remember walking off and, you know, you never really, you never really know how you do when you're, you know, doing those talking head deals. And I, yeah. And I get in the green room and, and grab my well, I think when my when my guy with me wouldn't look me in the eye,
3: I'm like, oh boy, was it that bad? Uh, it was that bad. And, uh, you know, Two days just... later, on January 21st, the Republican State Central Committee met and agreed to declare Rick Santorum the unambiguous winner. They did it in a late Friday afternoon press release, a news dump. Ten days after that, Matt Strawn resigned as chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa. The hardest part for him was feeling like party volunteers across the state had been unfairly maligned Run. for what were yeah, truly I mean, honest you mistakes. Think,
1: listen, I you know, listen. I'm a big boy. I knew what I signed up for.
3: Right.
1: But you don't think that average Iowa Republican county chair, you know, doesn't take it personally when when people are making jokes about Iowa's not knowing how to count? Right. Uh, and I tried to correct them. I said we don't know how to tabulate. But now that's <laughs> there's a big difference. But uh, but you know that's. <sighs> to me, and, and it was the thought that, you know, personally, you know, that I let those folks down. Yeah. That's uh, rough. I, you know, the national folks can say what they will.
3: Okay. So what did we learn in all of that? To me, the incredible results of the 2012 Iowa Republican Precinct Caucuses and the excruciating experiences of Strawn and others underscore two important truths about the caucuses. The caucuses, as I've discussed in a previous episode are a media event. They produce a compelling horse race through which the national political media can begin to tell the story of a presidential election. What that means then, is that the only result that really matters is the one delivered on caucus night. I asked David Yepsen about this, and he contrasted the caucus process with an election for county sheriff. You can mess up a race for sheriff, and counting those results, and you can go back and you can prosecute somebody who's
1: committed fraud. You can do a recount, and you can get the right guy in the sheriff's office. You can't do that here. Uh, the victory on caucus night is media attention. So Romney did win the caucus because yeah. he got all the media attention. Mm-hmm. And there's Rick Santorum is left going that da, What and and that and that's a real problem for for both parties to make sure that they get. That right, there's a lot at stake here. And I think it's sobering to people in the parties. We are talking about the American presidency here,
3: you know. The pressure to get it right on caucus night is immense. It's absolutely critical. Now add to it the other immutable fact about the Iowa precinct caucuses. Their party-building exercises run entirely by local-level Activists. So you're basically asking a bunch of Republican Party volunteers at 1,774 precincts across the state of Iowa to be absolutely perfect in administering an election contest, counting votes, and reporting them, and to do it all in about four hours, with literally the brightest lights of American journalism shining squarely on them. That's it for this episode of Three Tickets the Des Moines Register's Iowa Caucuses podcast. I'm Jason Noble. Next time, we'll take a look at the caucuses through the eyes of a presidential candidate. A couple of them, actually. Life on the Iowa Caucuses campaign trail, as told by Bob Dole and Walter Mondale. Next time on Three Tickets.
2: Now for updates. Michael Mauro, as we mentioned last episode, retired from his position in state government in 2019 amid controversy over mistreatment of employees. Norm Sturzenbach worked with the Iowa Democratic Party for years, but in 2019 worked first for the Beto O'Rourke campaign and then for U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar. Chad Olson was a Deputy Secretary of State under Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate in 2019. Jennifer Jacobs, the former chief politics reporter for the Des Moines Register, became a Bloomberg News reporter in 2016. Before we end, I want to make sure I thank everyone who helped us with this episode of Three Tickets. Thank you first and foremost to Katie Aiken, the producer of this episode. Thank you also to Rachel Stassenberger, politics editor at the Des Moines Register, Paige Windsor, our news director, and Carol Hunter the paper's executive editor.